1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is vacationing. Sam Maupin is engineering today's program. We're going to hear from Eric Metaxas, author of Is Atheism Dead? Later in the second hour of today's program. But first, some of the day's headlines. Well, the big story was the president... Uh, forgave up to ten thousand dollars in federal student debt for those making under one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars annually, and twenty thousand dollars for Pell Grant recipients. Transfer the, transferring rather the cost. Uh, to the American public well the president's decision marks the first time a president has canceled federal student loan debt in such a broad capacity and it comes months before the midterm elections he had campaigned on canceling up to ten thousand dollars per borrower during the presidential race but there was no mention of an income. Uh, cap at that time well the president is also set to extend the federal student loan freeze for a final time until the 31st of december now lawmakers including nancy pelosi have argued that biden's executive order is unconstitutional and it goes outside the rights of the executive branch he was rather vigorous in arguing that before he was in the executive uh, house congress not the president is the only body that can cancel student debt pelosi said That was back in 21, arguing that the president can't do it. No, uh, not everyone realizes that, but the president can only postpone, delay, but not forgive student loans, she added. Well, the Department of Education, they came to the same decision, arguing that the executive branch does not have the statutory authority to cancel, compromise, discharge or forgive on a blanket or mass basis principal balances of student loans and or to materially modify the repayment amounts or terms thereof, end quote. Well, Senate Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer, he told Biden to provide as much relief as possible in a phone call Tuesday night, essentially saying I'm unnecessary as a member of Congress who has the authority to do what I'm asking you to do. Uh, Political said it's the right thing to do morally and economically. Legally, well, not so much. Well, the total estimated cost of the president's one time cancellation is $300 billion, according to a study that was released on Tuesday by the Wharton School of uh, Business at the University of Pennsylvania. The cost would increase to $330 billion if the program continues over the standard 10-year window, the study went on to, uh, to say. Well, Republican lawmakers have sounded the alarm over the president's decision, saying it will uh, lead to inflation. Payments for most student loan borrowers have been stalled since March of 2020 when Congress and then former President Donald Trump paused the payment due payments due to predicted financial hardships stemming from COVID-19. Well, the current president has extended the pause four times and the freeze was expected to expire on the 31st of this month. He had promised to make an announcement and he did so Today. Well, the nation's federal student debt now tops $1.6 trillion after ballooning for years. More than 43 million Americans have federal student debt, with almost a third owing less than $10,000 and more than half owing less than $20,000, according to the latest federal data. The national debt, according to the Treasury Department, currently sits at $30.7 trillion. As for the uh, income-driven repayment plan, the Education Department says the update will substantially reduce future monthly payments for lower- and middle-income borrowers. The proposed rule would cut in half the amount borrowers have to pay each month on undergraduate loans from 10% to 5%. And the rule would also have borrowers with both undergraduate and graduate loan payments, uh, uh, a weighted average rate. Well, that proposed rule would also forgive loan balances after 10 years of payments instead of the current 20 years under many income-driven repayment plans for borrowers with original loans, uh, balances uh, $12,000 or less. So regardless, individuals who signed paperwork saying that they would accept a loan under the terms that the loan would be repaid are being forgiven, this being the latest version of that, but other. Uh, elements as well well the announcement came as the united states is facing record high inflation but when asked if the plan would increase inflation a senior administration official said the steps the administration is taking will offset each other noting there are certain conditions and assumptions under which it could well be neutral or deflationary now that is being highly disputed in a bipartisan matter, but we'll return to that in a moment. Well, the official said that the combination of an extension of the pause in the loan payments and the targeted debt relief will largely offset inflation. That's our view, the official said, adding that if all borrowers claim the relief that they are entitled to, 43 million federal student loan borrowers will benefit and of those 20 million will have their debt completely canceled. Now when the the phrase completely canceled is used it doesn't mean it just simply dissipates it means it's transferred. Taxpayers are then required to pay for those loans the majority of whom did not attend college or university. Um, and we'll get into that later in the program as well. Well, Republicans are blasting the administration's move with the National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel calling it Biden's bailout for the wealthy. As hardworking Americans struggle with soaring costs and a recession, the president is giving a handout to the rich, she says. His bailout unfairly punishes Americans who saved for college or made a different career choice, and voters see right through this short sighted vote by, end quote. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell slammed the move. He said that Democrats have found yet another way to make inflation even worse, reward far left activists and achieve nothing for millions of working American families who can barely tread water. President Biden's student loan socialism is a slap in the face to every family that sacrificed to save for college, every graduate who paid their debt and every American who chose a certain career path or volunteered to serve in our armed forces in order to avoid taking on debt. This policy is astonishingly unfair. He went on to to note that the median American with student loan already has a significantly higher income than the median American overall. So those who owe generally make significantly more in income than those who will now be responsible for paying off their loans. Experts, he went on to say, who studied similar past proposals found that the overwhelming benefit of student loan socialism flows to higher earning Americans Democrats specifically wrote this policy to make sure that people earning six figures would, in fact, benefit. And he added, this is the um, one consistent thread that connects these policies, taking money and purchasing power away from working families and redistributing it to their favored friends. Now, we'll talk more about um, why the uh, bailout is unfair to some taxpaying Americans. In fact, I just read a Facebook post moments before I came onto the program from someone who thought this was a great idea, even if it means that taxpayers have to foot the bill. Well, is it fair? First of all, is it legal? And according to the Department of Education and even Nancy Pelosi, the president does not have that authority. So the answer would be no. And secondly, is it fair? We'll continue to hash that out and you can decide for yourselves. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment
1: you're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: hey welcome back you're listening to the Georgine Rice show coming up later in the program Eric Metaxas on his book is atheism dead again you're listening to the Georgine Rice show well Lindsay Burke and Adam Kissel they weighed in on whether or not the um, bailout is unfair they point out that the plan will Further inflate college costs, hinder economic growth, reward upper income earners and provide a major handout to woke institutions of higher education. Well, let's flesh that out. Well, the administration has uh, stuck its thumb in the eye of the millions of working Americans who don't hold college degrees, but who will bear the cost of this federal largesse. The administration is also rubbing salt in the wounds of those responsible borrowers who worked their way through college to avoid debt or who worked hard to pay off their college debt after graduating. Again, Lindsay and Adam, the millions of Americans who graduated from college, lived modestly and did without fancy dinners and vacations so that they could diligently repay the debt they agreed to pay back are surely wondering why they will um, uh, get no no such rebate. Those responsible Americans are left standing there holding the bill. Well, like chumps, they have good reason to feel insulted. So should the uh, Americans who eschewed college altogether because they thought it was a bad value proposition, which the administration has tacitly admitted through the very move to cancel debt. The plan is an unfair handout to big education, which will gladly keep raising tuition and a politically favorable constituency of relatively wealthy, more high ed, um, highly educated voters. The uh, bailout will also, as Clinton era Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers recently pointed out have both macro whole of the economy and micro tuition prices inflationary effects history demonstrates that federal subsidies have enabled colleges to raise prices with abandon and he goes on to point out that since the 1991-92 academic year total federal aid including student loans and grants increased 295% are people better educated worth? Well, in response, colleges and universities more than doubled their tuition and fees in real terms. Penn Wharton estimates the loan cancellation would cost at least $300 billion, with about 70% of the forgiveness going to the top 60% of households by income distribution. On top of that, every month, federal taxpayers are losing $5 billion in incurred interest as a result of the separate ongoing repayment moratorium. All of this makes extending the pause on repayments uh, that Biden also announced equally bad policy. Well, according to the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, higher income earners such as doctors and lawyers benefit the most from the continued repayment pause with law degree holders receiving an estimated twenty nine thousand five hundred dollars in forgiveness through policies that like canceling interests uh, resulting from the pause. Holders of medical degrees have received a staggering average of forty eight thousand five hundred dollars in debt cancellation resulting from the pause. The committee for a responsible federal budget estimates that if the pause were to continue through August of twenty twenty three, and that's entirely possible, doctors and lawyers would have respective total benefits of eighty nine thousand five hundred dollars and fifty four thousand five hundred per person. Of course, those are the professionals most able to repay their student loans. It's true that student loan debt is high in uh, aggregate terms. Federal student loan uh, programs account for most of the $1.7 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. But for most borrowers, median monthly loan payments, which are $222 a month or under, uh, $2,700 a year, are manageable if they aren't. Even better repayment options already exist. Indeed, about half of all loans issued through the federal direct loan program are currently being repaid through income-driven repayment plans, which cap monthly loan payments based on income. By definition, those plans are affordable. Notably, for those borrowers, the forgiveness scheme lopped off $10,000, the most someone can get if he or she had no Pell Grants isn't likely to help much at all. Low- and middle-income borrowers enrolled in income-driven repayment plans make minimal payments, and ultimate forgiveness is already baked into the plan, so lopping off $10,000 of uh, their loan's balance uh, doesn't actually end up being a benefit for them either. Loan forgiveness ultimately rewards the bad behavior of universities while punishing working Americans who didn't want to or couldn't, for whatever reason, attain a college degree. When colleges raise tuition, knowing that the government's easy money will let them charge more and more, they'll not plow uh, that money into facilities or uh, salaries, but instead into, in large measure, a growing army of diversity, equity and inclusion officers and other administrative um, bodies. One of the worst offenders, the University of Michigan, employs 163 people for equity, diversity and inclusion programming and services and not direct education. Well, as the Independent Women's Forum, Inez Stepman, put it, the plan robs the working class to provide a bailout for the woke managerial class. Now, this bailout has also created intractable policy puzzles going forward. What happens to the next cohort of borrowers currently signing on the dotted line for their student loans as the academic year begins? An older sister gets $10,000 or $20,000 while her younger sister does not. And the moral hazard is massive. Students will understandably expect their loans to be forgiven going forward, and that expectation could lead to increases in borrowing and decisions to delay payment. Past borrowers who repaid their debt have been handed an unfair bill for someone else's loan. Future borrowers, children currently in elementary and secondary school, can expect even higher college prices as a result of this so-called forgiveness. It would be hard to design a more unfair, regressive and inflationary policy if you tried. And again, uh, Lindsay uh, Burke and Adam Kissel pointing out uh, some of the arguments being made as to the unfairness of this plan. Well, many White House staffers will likely be eligible for the president's newly unveiled student loan forgiveness plan, which will transfer up to $10,000 in student debt from individuals making less than $125,000 to the American public, most of which make significantly less than that. A White House report that detailed the pay... Um, of more than 470 staffers last month show that roughly half of current White House employees make $90,000 or less per year, with the other half making more than $100,000. More than 300 staffers on the list to earn less than $125,000, and that is the threshold. It's not clear how many White House staffers have student loan balances. One in five White House aides required to file a 2021 financial disclosure reported having student loans. One in five, according to disclosures reviewed by Bloomberg News. However, only senior or um, well-paid staffers have to file the disclosures the report notes so it could be significantly more at least 30 senior white house staffers have student loan balances according to the report the staffers mentioned by name in the report press secretary uh, jean pierre the deputy director of the national economic council make a yearly salary that exceeds the one hundred and twenty five thousand dollar cutoff. The 30 senior staffers collectively owe as much as four point seven million dollars, according to the report. Well, Washington, D.C. residents have more outstanding student loan debt than residents of any other city in the country. That's according to a twenty twenty one report from business insurance research company, Advisor Smith, that found that the average D.C. borrower has fifty four thousand nine hundred and eighty two dollars in unpaid student loan debt and 16 percent of D.C. residents had unpaid student loan debt. Well, the president plans to forgive up to ten thousand in federal student debt in this latest um, announcement well, two Republican members of Congress, Representatives Virginia Fox of North Carolina, and James Comer of Kentucky, wrote a letter to the u s Office of Government Ethics last year, suggesting that staffers working on the loan forgiveness plan should be investigated to see if they or their family members would benefit personally from the loan cancellation, suggesting a conflict of interest. Public officials should never use their office to unjustly enrich themselves, and such behavior would directly violate the ethics pledge that President Biden implemented for all political appointees, the lawmakers wrote. So we'll see what uh, what comes of that. Meanwhile, the president slammed Americans who were upset over the billion, or I should say billions-dollar student loan handout that taxpayers will be footing. And the, his student loan handout divides Congress as Democrats Um, And Republicans um, are questioning whether or not, first of all, he has the authority or it's a good idea, and others are applauding the announcement. Some are calling it a voter bribe so close to the midterm elections. All of that will be sorted out, one would assume, but it's not really very likely. Well, in January of two thousand and twenty one just before President Trump, that administration departed the u s Department of Education they issued a legal memo which has since been ripped down from the uh, the website by the current administration, stating the Secretary of Education does not have the statutory authority to cancel, compromise, discharge, or forgive on a blanket or mass basis principal balances of student loans and or um, to Uh, materially modify the repayment amounts or terms thereof. Well, wasteful COVID-19 related government spending helped create record devastating inflation this year and forgiving student loans will make inflation worse. The president also ignores that the U.S. government fueled the initial student loan debate or rather the debt uh, balloon. For decades, college tuitions outpaced inflation, but universities kept raising tuition because they know government-backed student loans will follow. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported in 2017 that $1 of government student loan expansion correlates with a tuition raise of $0.60 cents per dollar. And what um, what have we gotten for those pricey degrees? Well, education scholar Preston Cooper of the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity reviewed degree earnings potential or the return on investment of more than 60,000 post-secondary degrees and certifications. He estimates that 28 percent of bachelor's degrees have negative uh, return on investment, meaning the uh, degree does not increase students' earnings enough to justify the cost of college and the risk of dropping out. Who um, wins most under the um, the magic wand that's now been Waived the committee for responsible federal budget reports nearly two thirds of the benefits of canceling fifty thousand dollars of student debt per person would go to the top forty percent of households and over three tenths uh, would go to the top quintile according to a recent paper by Sylvan Catherine and Constantine Yanalis less than five percent would go to the bottom quintile. Uh, they estimate an average net lifetime benefit of five thousand seven hundred and seventy-five dollars per some um, for someone rather in the top quintile, and only seven hundred and thirty-one for someone in the bottom. Well, economist Larry Summers, who rightly says that student loan cancellation raises demand and increases inflation, um, impotently warned his fellow Democrats that their rash spending was spiking inflation. They didn't listen when Summers claimed the so-called Inflation Reduction Act would decrease inflation, even though multiple nonpartisan analysis um, show that it won't. Regardless, in this instance, we can only pray that Biden will give credence to Summers' diagnosis, but the announcement has been made, and pending a uh, legal challenge to his executive authority, it will very likely move forward. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to encourage you to travel with Alistair Begg on the Deeper Faith Mediterranean Cruise next summer. Plan your trip of a lifetime, a Mediterranean cruise on the Norwegian Cruise Line with your host, Pastor Alistair Begg. You can explore their spectacular, this part of the world where the early church began to grow and where the Apostle Paul made many of his missionary journeys. You can enjoy Christian fellowship, friendship and ministry with Alistair Begg, world-class dining and accommodations, an itinerary filled with magnificent churches cathedrals strolling old world cobblestone streets touring 16th century mansions fortresses and museums book your tickets and come along on this exciting voyage across the scenic mediterranean sea next summer that's august the 28th through september 4th yeah 2023 the lord wills and i live Well, First Lady Jill Biden has tested positive for COVID-19 once again in a rebound case. The White House announced on Wednesday the same as uh, the president. He had COVID and then tested positive again. The First Lady tested negative for three consecutive days on Tuesday, but tested positive once again on Wednesday. Her rebound case comes weeks after the president himself had the same turn of events. After testing negative on Tuesday just now, the First Lady has tested positive for COVID-19 by antigen testing. This uh, represents a rebound positivity, the First Lady's deputy communications director said in a statement. The First Lady has experienced no reemergence of symptoms and will remain in uh, Delaware, where she will be uh, reinitiated into isolation procedures. The White House medical unit has conducted contact tracing and close contacts have been notified. Both Bidens experienced minor to moderate symptoms. They're both vaccinated and boosted during their first infections. Doctors treated the virus with a let like see, Paxlovid. In both cases, the president also reported few to no symptoms during his rebound case. It's not uncommon for those treated with um, that particular drug to have rebound cases within a few days of first testing negative. The first lady will, as I mentioned, remain in Delaware for at least another five days. Um, he is uh, the president is scheduled to meet her um, uh, there on Friday. Biden first tested positive on the 15th of this month during a family trip um, in North Carolina, a secluded and wealthy vacation spot. The president reportedly tested negative on Wednesday, but will mask indoors for the next 10 days due to his close contact with the first lady. So keep the uh, the first lady in your prayers as she has a, uh, a follow-up case of COVID. And a federal district court issued an order on Wednesday that blocks uh, the Biden administration's attempt to force emergency room doctors to perform abortions even if doing so violates their conscience or religious beliefs. Well, the court determined that the state of Texas and two groups of pro-life physicians are likely to prevail in their case against the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The case came out of Lubbock, Texas. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys, representing the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Christian Medical and Dental Association in State of Texas versus Bacara, uh, asked the court to halt the administration from employing the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act to force doctors to provide elective abortions in the emergency room while their lawsuit proceeds. The injunction applies in Texas and to members of the two organizations. Emergency room physicians can and do treat ectopic pregnancies and other life-threatening conditions. Elective abortion is not life-saving care. It ends the life of the unborn, and the government can't force doctors to perform procedures that violate their conscience and religious beliefs. That's a quote from the ADF senior counsel, Denise Harl, the director of the Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom. The administration is needlessly, illegitimately, and illegally working to turn emergency rooms into walk-in abortion facilities. She went on to say, doctors get into their line of work to save lives and care for people, and that's exactly what they are ethically, morally, and legally required to do. She argued before the court on behalf of the pro-life OBGYNs. We're pleased to see the court halt the administration's attempt to flagrantly disregard the legislative and democratic process and will continue to defend those in the medical profession who wish to respect and save lives, not take them. Well, that uh, guidance goes well beyond the the, the text of the uh, which protects both mothers and unborn children. Uh, in the case of an emergency room encounter with an OBGYN. Meanwhile, on the political front, uh, Charlie Crist has defeated Nikki Fried, uh, Fried, rather of Florida's Democratic gubernatorial primary, and will face rising GOP star and incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis in the November general election. Now, this uh, face-off between the two sitting members of Congress was a result of uh, redistricting in the uh, in the state. With 88% of the expected vote counted, Chris, former governor of Florida and current US representative, garnered 59.3% of uh to opponent and state to agriculture commissioner f- uh Fried 35 to 3%, according to uh the results. Chris prevailed in the vast majority of counties in the state with the exception of Bay um Alachua and Columbia where uh his opponent led. Recent polling projected a sweeping Chris victory over his opponent, by nearly 30 percentage points, a number of Democratic interest groups, put their support behind Christ, who was considered the more moderate option to the younger progressive opponent. He was endorsed by pro-abortion organization Emily's List and state teachers unions and the state AFL-CIO and the state's largest gay rights group. Chris started his political career as a Republican, serving in the Florida Senate from 93 to 99 and later governor in 2006 before joining the Democrat Party in 2012 when he endorsed former President Obama for reelection. As of a July primary debate, neither candidate could say whether they'd support any limits to abortion access if elected, suggesting that the party On the issue is captured uh, state contests as well. Chris dodged the question by blaming DeSantis, his uh, now known opponent in the general election, saying, you know, the question really isn't what limits. The question is, why do Republicans like Ron DeSantis not honor and respect a woman's right to choose, finishing the sentence, choose to end the life of their child in utero? Well, that's the issue we're dealing with. DeSantis, on the other hand, signed into law a ban on late abortions earlier This year. So the face off has now been officially made clear. Well, in a credibility crisis, CNN and MSNBC have raised eyebrows by providing significant airtime to the fired ex FBI official Peter Strzok to defend the raid on former President uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, as critics feel the disgraced former agent is the last person who should be dispatched to uh, claim an investigation is unbiased. Well, Strzok, you might recall, was removed from the Robert Mueller Russia investigation in 2017 and fired by the FBI in 2018, in part for exchanging anti-Trump texts with his, well, paramour, Lisa Page, while overseeing critical investigations. Yet he has been put in a position to defend the raid of Mar-a-Lago on a near daily basis. He appeared on CNN at least eight times, MSNBC at least another seven times since the raid on the 8th of August. He appeared at least 15 times in the first 15 days following the raid, appearing on at least one of the networks, an average of once a day since it occurred. Calling them great candidates, former President Trump celebrated all wins after sarcastically endorsing Democrats. And a school district official in Kentucky invoked Adolf Hitler in defense of a graphic pornographic book um, challenged, rather, by a mom. She wanted the book to be reconsidered as inappropriate. For students in the school. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments and coming up later in the second hour of today's program. Eric Metaxas, Is Atheism Dead?
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, Eric Metaxas, his book, Is Atheism Dead? That's coming up in the second hour. Well, a twiddle, Twitter, twiddle may, might be a better word. A Twitter whistleblower has revealed irresponsible cybersecurity policies, some of which may be related to Musk's acquisition. And no proof has been offered. And Twitter is saying this is a disgruntled employee, but Twitter executives um, deceived federal regulators. That's what's being charged, and the company's own board of directors about extreme, egregious deficiencies. And its defenses against hackers, as well as its meager efforts to fight spam, according to an explosive whistleblower complaint from its former security chief. So this isn't just some run of the mill guy. This is the former security chief. We don't know what the history is in that relationship, that work relationship and evidence has yet to be presented, but it does pose some serious potential questions and criminal uh, prosecution if it can be proven the complaint from former head of security uh, a widely admired hacker known as mudge depicts twitter as a chaotic and rudderless company beset by infighting unable to properly protect its 238 million daily users including government agencies heads of states and other influential public figures cnn reported that zatko further he's um The famous hacker further alleges that Twitter's leadership has misled its own board and government regulators about its security vulnerabilities, including some that could allegedly open the door to foreign spying and manipulation, hacking and disinformation campaigns. Well, the whistleblower also alleges Twitter does not reliably delete users' data after they cancel their accounts, in some cases because the company has lost track of the information and that it has misled regulators about whether it deletes the data as it is required to do. The whistleblower also says Twitter executives don't have the resources to fully understand the true number of bots on the platform and were not motivated to. Bots have recently become central to Elon Musk's attempt to buy Uh, to back out of um, the $44 billion deal to buy the company, although Twitter denies Musk's claims. So these are um, very inflammatory and could have uh, serious uh, ramifications for investors and others. So we'll continue to follow that story if and as it develops. Liz Cheney is working with the Koch Network and Trump Consultants. In a a possible presidential campaign, the Republican representative has amassed a group of political consultants with ties to the former president, whom she loathes, and the expansive Koch network network, rather, as she mulls a run for the White House after losing in the GOP primary for her Wyoming House seat. Cheney's role as vice chair of the committee investigating Trump's actions in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has cost the third um, highest ranking Republican in the U.S. House her standing in the GOP and her seat in Congress. She lost the Republican nomination in a landslide race last week to one of Trump's picks, Wyoming lawyer Harriet Hagman. PJ Media points out that Cheney's only role if she runs for president would be as a spoiler to keep Trump from winning, which he has stated is um, her primary objective. Cheney is now setting herself up to sabotage the Republican Party, just as the party is under maximum assault from uh, partisans in the opposing party. Again, PJ Media Interactive polls say the 2024 presidential general election, Donald Trump at 40 percent, Joe Biden at 32 percent, Liz Cheney at 11 percent. It's essentially meaningless at this point, but it is rather interesting to see what's uh, what's being said. Well, the U.S. has authorized another three billion dollars in Ukrainian aid. As Russia's war in Ukraine drags on, the U.S. security assistance is shifting to a longer term campaign that will likely keep more American military troops in Europe into the future, including imminent plans to announce an additional roughly three billion dollars in aid to train and equip Ukrainian forces to fight for years to come, U.S. officials said, years to come. U.S. officials told the Associated Press that the package is expected to be announced Wednesday, the day the war hits the six-month mark, and Ukraine celebrates its Independence Day. It has been a bloody day in which people were told not to gather for celebrations. The money will fund contracts for drone weapons and other equipment that may not see the battlefield for a year or two, they said. Meanwhile, Reuters says Washington has provided $10.6 billion in military assistance to President Volodymyr Zelensky's government since February of 20, uh, I should say February 24th of uh, this year, some six months. Um, much of the haggling at this point is over Europe and whether or not they will step up, especially as winter approaches, and in particular, Germany. All eyes are focused there. Representative Jerry Nadler beat Representative Carolyn Maloney in a highly contested Democrat primary race. The representative will uh, def- uh, will defeat his colleague, another representative, in a vicious House primary that locked the longtime New York Democrats in a battle for the heart of Manhattan, the two lawmakers were pitted against each other after a redrawn district map spurred them to compete for a single seat in Congress. Nadler is 75, Maloney 76. They've represented a, adjacent chunks of the island for about three decades. Both hold powerful seats in Congress. Nadler chairs the House Judiciary Committee, while Maloney leads the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Maloney, in her concession speech, um, accused her opponent and her loss to misogyny. It was met with uh, groans of disbelief from the audience. Florida Republicans uh, DeSantis and Rubio are looking ahead to November. Representative Charlie Crist, as I mentioned earlier, cruised to primary victory over Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried on Tuesday night. But heading into Election Day, few Democrat insiders and political observers gave either Christ or uh, Fried much of a chance in November, citing Every recent public poll showing DeSantis leading Crist. As DeSantis' historic $140 million re-election war chest grows by the day, National Democrats have signaled they won't invest in Florida as heavily as in the past. Meanwhile, Town Hall reports that Representative Val Demings won the Florida Democratic primary on Tuesday night to challenge Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican, come the fast-approaching November midterm elections. She actually has a much better chance of winning the incumbent Senator Rubio President Biden announced his student loan forgiveness decision today to groans and cheers on both sides of the political aisle. And in Yolo County, California, 70 percent of suspects released on zero bail reoffended. If criminals do not pay for their actions, they will repeat them. A California district attorney has found that more than 70 percent of criminal suspects released on $0 bail between 2020 and 2021 in his county committed new crimes. The California Judicial Council in April of uh, 2020 implemented the statewide emergency bail schedule or $0 bail, which supporters say makes the criminal justice system more fair for those who cannot afford to be released. And as Prager points out that these people got the message that violence is fine. They got the message in another way from the uh, party that supported that the, the uh, Transformation of the law, because if you steal under nine hundred and fifty dollars, you essentially are not prosecuted. That's the message that they that went out. That violence is OK. While well, new house sales dropped to a six year low while the price and mortgage rates have skyrocketed. Sales of new U.S. homes plunged more than expected in July to the lowest level in six years as rising mortgage rates and the relentless increase in home values slowed actively. Uh, by edging prospective home buyers out of the market. New single family home purchases tumbled 12.6% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 511,000 units, the Commerce Department reported yesterday. It marked the sixth consecutive month of declines. Economists surveyed by Refinitiv uh, expected new home sales, which account for a small percentage of total sales, to fall 2.5% last month. The New York Post says mortgage rates, which move in tandem with U.S. Treasury yields, have soared even higher than the Fed's benchmark overnight interest rates. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is averaging 5.13 percent, up from 3.22 percent at the start of the year. Despite slowing uh, demand, house price growth remains strong. The medium new house price in July was $439,400, an 8.2 percent jump from a year ago. There were 464,000 new homes on the market at the end of last month, up from 450,000 units in June. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And in the second hour, we'll hear a conversation with Eric Metaxas. Is atheism dead? All of that and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back! You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, a conversation with Eric Metaxas, his book is Atheism Dead, and um, look forward to uh, to sharing that with you. Also coming up tomorrow, a conversation with Mo Aiken, Fully Known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. That's coming up on tomorrow's program. We're continuing to finish up our wind through the news, um, and so we'll do that until uh, Eric Metaxas. Joins us in our next segment. Well, the U.S. warns Russia may step up attacks on Ukraine's Independence Day. That certainly was borne out earlier today. The Department of State has information that Russia is stepping up efforts to launch strikes against Ukraine's civilian infrastructure and government facilities in the coming days, the U.S. embassy in Ukraine alerted. The six-month anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February coincides with Ukraine's Independence Day, and officials were worried Russia would use the moment to to increase its aggression beyond the front lines. As a Precaution, Independence Day celebrations had been canceled across the country, including in the capital of Kiev, with Ukrainians told to avoid large gatherings. Local authorities from Kharkiv in the east to Lviv in the west have warned people to pay more attention to air raid sirens, respect curfews and work from home if possible. There have been no White House press briefings in two weeks. That was broken earlier today. Finally, a press conference and cleared of all charges. The two Atlanta police officers involved in the shooting death of Richard Brooks in 2020 outside of Wendy's fast food restaurant were cleared of all charges on Tuesday. Brooks had fallen asleep in his vehicle while in the drive through line when police were called in. Video footage captured the altercation between the officers and Brooks as they attempted to arrest him for drunkenness. The 27 year old started fighting with the officers. During the fight, he grabbed one of the officer's tasers, which is non-lethal, turned and fired it on one of the officers as he fled. It was at that point that he was shot twice by one of the officers and killed. The executive director of Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia explained, based on the facts and the circumstances confronting Officer Rolf and Officer Bronson, in this case, it is my conclusion the use of deadly force was objectively reasonable and that they did not act with criminal intent. He further observed that this is a case in which the officers were willing to give Mr. Brooks every benefit of the doubt. And unfortunately, by his actions, this is what happened. That Wendy's, by the way, had been burned down in 2020 by protesters following that incident. The New York Times Union has accused the paper of racism. The New York Times is being accused by the labor union that represents employees of the famed gray lady. According to a report released on Tuesday, minority employees have been discriminated against in annual performance reviews. No black employees had made uh, who make up 10% of the union's membership received the highest review rating in 2020, whereas the employees who did receive the highest performance rating, 90% were white. Lower performance reviews uh, result in smaller bonuses, lost promotions and union assets. The, um, uh, union also criticized the Times hiring of the law firm Seyfarth Shaw to conduct a review of its diversity practices. As the firm concluded, there was no evidence of a systematic racism problem at the media company. The union contended that the methodology used by the firm was flawed. The report appears to be a classic example of using the existence of disparity as evidence for racism. Of course, since this is the uh, ideology of the Times, Uh, It is indeed ironic that it fails to abide by its own standard. Florida parents continue to revolt. Parents gained control of several major school boards in elections across Florida yesterday. Sarasota County school board was uh, flipped from a leftist three to two majority to four to one conservative majority. But Sarasota was far from the only A county school board flipped. Boards in the counties of Clay, Duval City and Jacksonville, Miami-Dade and Martin were all flipped to conservative majority. Much of this is thanks to Governor Ron DeSantis' efforts to ensure that Florida schools are pulled back from becoming indoctrination centers. Major department stores are slashing prices to get rid of excess inventory. So if you're shopping, apparently now's the time. With inflation, you may not have the money. A big rig hiding over 1.5 million fentanyl pills has been seized by Border Patrol agents. A Baltimore post office discovered two, uh, 220 mail in ballots. Two men have been uh, convicted of conspiring to kidnap Democrat Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And U.S. Navy service members who are seeking religious exemptions to the Department of Defense's COVID-19 vaccine mandate have been transferred into deplorable living conditions and in some cases are unable to leave while awaiting termination from the military, according to court documents. First Liberty Institute in November filed a lawsuit on behalf of 35 active duty SEALs and three reservists seeking a religious exemption to the mandate. The case has since been amended to extend to a class action lawsuit and encompassing all Navy service members seeking religious accommodation. In March, the Supreme Court blocked a lower courts order in Texas that would have forced the Navy to stop implementing the vaccine mandate. Now the case is continuing to be litigated in lower courts around the country, and unvaccinated SEALs and other sailors are uh, who have um, not yet been terminated by the U.S. government are stuck in limbo with uh, many of them forced into less than desirable alternative housing by the military or barred from traveling outside their base. Rand Paul demands National Institutes of Health preserve all of Dr. Fauci's communications as he is set to retire in December. And President Biden ordered a series of precision strikes on Iran-backed uh, backed forces in Syria that were carried out Tuesday, according to military officials. The airstrikes took place in the uh, Deer Azor region of Syria and targeted infrastructure believed to have been used by organizations with ties to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. U.S. Central Command said these, pre- these precision strikes are intended to defend and protect U.S. forces from attacks like the ones on August 15th against U.S. personnel by Iran-backed groups. The U.S. Um, strikes targeted infrastructure facilities used by groups affiliated with Iran's Islamic um, Revolutionary Guard Corps according to the communications director from CENTCOM in a statement. Well, on this day in history, A.D. 79, how's that for going back? Long dormant Mount Vesuvius erupts, burying the Roman cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum in volcanic ash, an estimated 20,000 people died. I spent some time a few years back in Pompeii. It's really quite remarkable to stand at the foot of that mountain in the ash heap uh, that used to be, the city of Pompeii. Um, 1814, the British set fire to the White House and the Capitol when they invade Washington, D.C. during the War of 1812. 1932, Amelia Earhart, she embarks on a 19-hour flight from Los Angeles to Newark, New Jersey, making her the first woman to fly solo, nonstop, from coast to coast. 1949, the North Atlantic Treaty comes into force. 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower signs the Communist Control Act, outlawing the Communist Party in the United States. 1968, France becomes the world's fifth thermonuclear power as it explodes a hydrogen bomb in the South Pacific. 1989, Major League Baseball Commissioner A. Bartlett-Giometti bans Pete Rose from baseball for life for gambling. 1989, the Voyager 2 space probe A flies to Neptune, sending back striking photographs. 2006, the International Astronomical Union declares that Pluto is no longer a full-fledged planet, demoting it to the status of a dwarf planet. 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev resigns as the general secretary of the Communist Party after a failed coup attempt against him. 2007, uh, 2007, rather, the NFL indefinitely suspends Atlanta Falcons quarterback Michael Vick without pay after he acknowledges in court papers that he had bankrolled gambling on dogfighting and helped kill some dogs. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, the State Department reports that at least 16 Americans working at the U.S. Embassy in Havana become ill in a mysterious health attack. Up next, Eric Metaxas, Is Atheism Dead? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned earlier, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Eric Metaxas. He's written a new book. That's not surprising. He's always writing a new book. But in 1966, Time Magazine asked, is God dead? Some of you remember that, others maybe not so much. Half a century on, the question has changed. Well, the best-selling author Eric Metaxas takes Time's famous question and turns it around, is atheism dead? And he offers an entertaining, wide-ranging, and decidedly provocative answer. In a voice that is witty, muscular, poetic, he echoes C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton in cheerfully and factually making his astonishing case that the belief in a creatorless universe is no longer logically tenable well Eric Metaxas is a a number one best-selling author whose books have been translated into 25 languages the host of a nationally syndicated radio show and the acclaimed conversation series Socrates in the City he is a prominent cultural commentator whose work has appeared in the New York Times the New Yorker the Atlantic and the Wall Street Journal he lives with his family in New York City today however he is ours at least for a short period of time by phone Eric Metaxas thank you so much for joining us
3: Georgine, it's an honor to join you. Thank you so much for in- inviting me. And I have to tell you, I am, I am more excited about this book than I've been about any book. And I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that because it's my latest book. There's stuff in it. It's it's almost unbelievable, and that's kind of the theme of the book, right? That 1966 Time Magazine asks, "Is God dead?" And we've kind of bought into this cultural narrative, this secular narrative that God is you know, being replaced by science or whatever. And ironically, exactly the opposite has happened, except nobody knows about it. Because we live in a secular culture, this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff is not covered. So science has, over the last 50 years, been leading on an insane level to God through what's called the fine-tuned universe and things that we couldn't have known 50 years ago, 40 years ago. So the, so the irony is that the more we learn from science, the more scientists are astonished at what they find, and they say there is no way all of these things could have been calibrated so perfectly. They, we, we always thought that everything just happened, and here we are. Science is now dramatically making the case that everything, the universe, this planet, life, was designed, and it's so intricate and complex that you you know it never could have just happened. And I thought, something needs to write about that. So that's why my book is, is Atheism Dead. Effectively, atheism is dead. If you want to be an agnostic, great. We can have a conversation. We can talk about, you know, our disagreements, whatever. But this idea that there is no God, that to me, mainly from the science, but from some other stuff that I go into in the book, I don't think it's intellectually tenable, and the new atheists were terrible apologists for, for atheism. They basically uh, were very intellectually sloppy, and so I go into all of that, and, and I think it's important for people of faith and people who aren't so sure what they believe to know like what we now know that you just haven't heard, because the news tends not to cover stuff like this, as mm-hmm. you already know.
2: Yeah. So is atheism the default position if you are either unwilling to or not particularly interested in looking very deeply? Is atheism kind of the default position so I don't have to be bothered with questions like, why am I here and how things came to be?
3: Well, yes. And that that's why that's one of the ways, you know, that it's just silly. In other words, agnosticism is an honest reckoning. If somebody says, listen, uh, I have big questions about your faith. I mean, I'm a Christian, right? So somebody says to me, I don't get this. I don't get that. That sounds crazy. How can you believe that? You can have an honest conversation with somebody, but there are some people that they're uncomfortable by even the idea that it might be real. So they say, I'm an atheist. Everything you say is stupid. Science is the only way we could know anything. Uh, Logic is the enemy of religion Uh, rationality is the enemy of faith, science is the enemy of faith, they don't work together. That is complete nonsense, and it's time that you say to somebody, listen, we can disagree, but here's something we cannot disagree on because it's a fact. Christian faith gave us Mm -hmm. modern science. That's a fact. You you, you can find many, many non-Christians who have written about this that it was christian faith that led to what we call the scientific revolution and and science you also have to reckon with the fact that you you have every great scientist who ever lived up until like the 20th century they were profound christians galileo kepler maxwell i mean on and on and on they were men of profound faith and they not only saw no problem between science and christian faith but they actually said I am glorifying God by examining his creation. And the more I discover, the more in awe I am of the God who made this. So that's another one of these kind of, you know, a lie, this, this myth that science is at odds with faith and faith. Is, it, it's, it, you know, it's not true. And then, as I say now, ironically, it's science itself that is pointing to God. I mean, that's that's a headline. That's a crazy thing that nobody saw coming. So that's why the book is titled "Is Atheism Dead." Hmm.
2: We'll talk a, a little bit about the abundance of new evidence that points back to the idea of a created universe. What are some of the big pieces of evidence that uh, God had His hand on creation? I, I think we need to be refreshed and encouraged by uh, by some of these new developments.
3: Well, that's the thing is that. Even the stuff that's not new, no one's heard about it usually, so it, it's new to them. You know, like, for mm-hmm. example, the idea that the Earth, if the Earth were the tiniest bit bigger or the tiniest bit sm- smaller, we couldn't have a life on Earth. Now, most people think that's ridiculous. I've watched Star Trek. I've watched movies. Like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Science tells us that the Earth's magnetosphere, most of us have never even heard of that. I hadn't heard of it until I wrote the book that the magnetosphere of the Earth, if it weren't what it is, we would be like Mars, where the atmosphere has basically gone off into outer space. If the Earth were a little bit bigger than it is, uh, our gravity would pull down you know, poisonous gases and things, and we wouldn't be able to have life here for that reason. That's one of the simplest things, and we've known that for some time, but nobody knows that, and that's one of dozens and scores and hundreds of things That no matter where you look, you see evidence of design. And to me, as I say, the big headline is that nobody knows any of this stuff. You talk to intelligent people of faith, and they go, no, I I never heard that. I'll tell you one thing. um, Christopher Hitchens, the arch-atheist, in a a rare moment of candor, because he could be really vicious and unyielding, somebody put a camera in his face and said, hey, what's the most impressive argument from the God side of things? And he said, Oh, without any question, the fine tuned argument. Uh, that's the one that everybody on, on our side says is, is the one that needs some working out. It's difficult. And, you know, that, and, and I thought to myself, you know, he admits it, but when I put stuff out about the fine tuned universe, atheists just say, this is stupid. It's been disproven and stuff. It's like, well, n- not according to the smartest guy among you, Christopher Hitchin. So it really, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, there are things that are so crazy, like I discovered that the planet jupiter it 's the largest planet in the solar system it 's gigantic, right? but if you look in the night sky and you happen to know where it is, it is like a pinprick it, you know even if you find it it 's a little nothing it 's four hundred million miles away, four times as far away as the sun it 's so far away, but we now know that that planet, which looks so tiny from here, it's so huge that its gravity pulls asteroids and comets and meteors toward itself so that they don't hit Earth. In other words, if it happened not to be there, and we kind of think, like, well, who cares about you know, Saturn and Jupiter? Well, who cares? Well, it, we now know from science, if they weren't there, there's no way life could exist on Earth, because the number of meteors and asteroids and comets that would hit Earth would it would it would be utterly impossible for life ever to exist. And now we know that from science, that's not some Christian thing. But it goes on and on. The size of the moon, the chemical composition of water. Wherever science looks, it finds this kind of thing. And it's mounted up to a level that I just think is just astonishing. And that's only really one of the three arguments. The first part of the book is science and mm-hmm. those are there are three arguments. And then I go into archaeology and the third part of the book I talk about atheism itself and why that doesn't make make sense. So there's there's a lot there but I think a lot of it and this is what gets me excited it's going to be new to a lot of people. They're going to they're going to say hey I lived in a world where I didn't even know it was possible for science to to be reconciled with faith and now you're telling me science is pointing to faith like that that's going to take time to process, you know. Uh, but we need to begin processing this because I think it's a paradigm Shift. I think we're at a time now where this information has has come out. It's going to continue to come out, and honest people have to deal with it. If you want to be an agnostic, that's great, but I don't think you can honestly say I'm an atheist. You can say I was an atheist. Now I'm an agnostic.
2: Well, let me ask you: To whom this book is written? You're a bright guy. You've written lots of books. Is this for the rank and file reader? Is this more of an academic work? To whom would you recommend it?
3: Oh, I never write academic works, I always want to write to to anybody who likes to read books, because that's to me, the whole reason for this book is that people have not written popular level books on this subject. This is information that everybody needs to know. Anybody who reads books should know this stuff. And it has been relegated to, you know, more scientific type Books or or more apologetics type books that are that are for people that are really into this stuff. I always write for for you know I would call it the average reader, somebody who wants uh, a fun read. I mean I I you know I tell stories a lot of the, for example the archaeology books about biblical archaeology they just tell you what's significant and why they don't give you the context they don't tell you the story, the stories of how some of these things were discovered that prove that the Bible is history, the stories themselves are hilarious, crazy stories, and it it makes it come to life. And so I think that's God's gift to me, is that I know how to communicate Mm -hmm. in that way, because I do think this information has to get past the experts. It has to get into the hands of everybody. And, you know, in the secular world, secular information is dispensed nonstop, but this is information that, for one reason or another, it just has not it hasn't been known, and it's, it's risen to such a crazy level. I said, I have got to put this in a book. People need to recalibrate and understand that we're, we're in a different world than we were in 1966 when, when the magazine said, is God dead? We're in a world where the only real question is, is atheism dead, and people need to know it.
2: Absolutely. Once again, the book is titled, Is Atheism Dead? We're talking with Eric Metaxas. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, but we need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Eric Metaxas is the author of a new book, Is Atheism Dead? It's divided into three parts. Does science point to God? The second uh, section is The Stones Will Cry Out. And the third, What is Truth, in which he deals with... um the fallout of atheism and what it uh, it means, why it's important for us to understand the answer to the question, is atheism dead? I want to start there uh, w- w- with the question that you pose, uh, and that is, is atheism evil? Is it important that we uh, uncover the underpinnings of atheism as being unreliable? And what difference does it make?
3: Well, that's a big question, <laughs> Eugene, but I tell you, before, before I answer that, let me Just finish the answer to the last question because it it dawned on me that I I wrote that even though I wrote this book for you know like everyone, I always hope that Christians will get encouraged because they will learn this stuff and they will say, "Holy guacamole, my faith is ultra reasonable." Why did I ever even walk with the slightest doubt, you know? But then I hope that they will they will think of people in their lives, maybe not atheists, but agnostics are people that just aren't sure what they think mm-hmm. and give it to them and say, look, this is, what the, this is what the facts say. This is what science says. This is what archaeology says. And most people have no idea about this stuff. They're blown away when they read it. And then, so I didn't write it really for a Christian audience. I wrote it for people that, you know, they don't know what they think. But your question about whether atheism is evil, the reason I ask that is because when you look at the track record, of atheism, there's, there's two things that need to be said. The track record of atheism, every atheistic state, North Korea, China, the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc countries, they were cruel to the point of sadistic and, and sick in the way that they dealt with believers. There seems to be almost like a satanic animus toward faith. It's not neutral. It's not like, well, we're secular, so we don't do religion. They seemed to to deeply despise people of faith and of course there's the practical reason is is that you know atheism is is a nice way to tell people you can't listen to a higher power you've got to listen to me the government you have no other place to go and so people who look to god are a threat to atheist regimes but it also needs to be said that when when you look at the story uh, of of atheism it's It's dark. People tend not to look at how bleak it is. They talk like, hey, I don't believe in God. Everything's great. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Thoughtful people, like smart, thoughtful people who really deal with the fact that maybe there's a world without God, they're not happy about it. They are troubled. They see it as bleak. They see the, the fact of it. Now, some of them are willing to confront it, like, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus – uh, and others, uh, Woody Allen, the filmmaker, he always talks about, you know, there's, there's no God and, and how horrible that is. It, it, he, even he's not happy about it because they understand that it means that there's no meaning in the universe. It means that love is a fiction. Uh, it's a figment of our imaginations that, that transcendence, anything, beauty is nothing. Your life is worth nothing. If you're really rigorous and you look at what atheism is, it is horrifying. So I think we need to be honest that the bleakness of it is, is, is almost unbearable to any human being. So you have to, if you say you believe it, you're ultimately going to be living a lie because you cannot live as though those things are true. I mean, that leads to the Nazi death camps. That leads to things that are, that are nightmares. Most people, even the new atheists, when they argued about atheism, you, you know, in the book I say, why do you rage as though any of this matters. If you believe there's no God, then it means you believe there's no meaning in the universe, although you're going to argue and say, I can create my own meaning, which is, you know, ridiculous. You can't, what what is meaning if you can create your own meaning? But they say those things because they can't bear living what they say. What they say is nothing matters. Their lives don't matter. If that were true, they wouldn't even argue about it. They wouldn't try to convince you or me or people writing books. Even in their effort to communicate that atheism is true, they are proving that it's not true, which, which is ironic and in some ways uh, comical. You know, that, that their, their, their rage shows that whether they like it or not, they're created for meaning. They're created for truth. They care about these things. If it were true that there are no God in the universe, they would just say, I don't care about anything. I don't care what you think. Uh, any more than I care what the stone thinks or the, or, or, or the tree uh, or the cup of water. You're meaningless. I'm meaningless. But no human being can live that out, which itself proves that, that real atheism is it's nonexistent. It's a, it's a silly concept. So if you want to be an agnostic, that's a different story. And I think a lot of people that think of themselves as atheists, either they just hate religion or they're actually agnostics.
2: Yeah, hating religion is probably at the core of a lot of what passes for atheism today. And I'm not sure people, uh, everyone understands what an agnostic is, that you don't know that there is a God. You're not declaring there is no God and I have proof or, you know, science contradicts that possibility. They're suggesting, I don't know. And that seems to be a more honest approach to dealing with uncertainty.
3: That's right. That's right. I, I, I think that if you say, I don't know, or if you say, I have all these kinds of questions, we can have a conversation. Yeah. But when you say, I know there's no God, there's no God, that's like saying, listen, uh, circles are square, let's have a conversation. I I can't really have a conversation with you if you believe that, if you believe one plus one equals three or one plus one equals whatever I want it to equal. You you have to start somewhere. And because of what we now know from science specifically, I don't think you can – start from a position that there's, there's no God. The evidence is so dramatic for design that even people that are not Christians or believing in the Bible, they, they've recognized it. They have understood that where we were 50 years ago, you could get away with that. You can't get away with that anymore. I mean, one of the my favorite parts of the book is where I talk about the emergence of life from non-life, mm-hmm. right? We're not talking about evolution and that argument. We're just talking about Every scientist says 4 billion years ago, single-celled life emerged on Earth. And you say, okay, Mr. Scientist, if that's true and you're sure it's true, tell me, how did it emerge? How does life emerge from non-life? This is the simplest life, so it didn't emerge from another life. This is the simplest life imaginable. How did it emerge from non-life? And in 1950, there's some experience created some amino acids out of some, you know, whatever they said, that's the beginning. We, you know, we're on our way to figuring it out seven decades later. And this is a couple of chapters in the book. I write about this seven decades later, they haven't moved the ball forward an inch. They science has led us to see more and more clearly that there is no way that you can go from non-life to life. And so they're fudging it. They're not declaring this, but I, I found a scientist. He's an amazing believer genius uh, he he makes this very, very clear that they are totally clueless, but nobody really has the guts to talk about it because it's hugely embarrassing for the world of science that after they've been saying that they're on their way to figuring this out for 70 years, they are farther away than they were in 1952 when they made the declaration.
2: Hmm. Uh, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the fact that God crafted us Uh, in the very likeness and image of himself and the implications of understanding the the creator and creation and that significant fact.
3: Well, that is uh, a a beautiful way to put it. Uh, It it is true, and it's amazing that God makes us in his image. And part of, you know, on one level, we don't know what that means, because, of course, Mm Uh, God created the entire universe out of nothing. It's, it's so far beyond us. But he gave us the ability to know him, to have a mind that can comprehend who he is and what he has done. And then he gives us the ability to create a civilization where we create science, where we can study him and see with more and more awe who he is and what he has done. When you examine creation via science, you get more respect and more awe and more fear of God. You say, who is this? And then you find out that God wants a relationship with me. That is mind blowing. That is like the best news in the universe. And, you know, this is where science is pointing us. So to me, this is all very good news. I think it's a paradigm shift in the culture People uh, are no longer going to say, "Is God dead?" They're going to say, "Is atheism dead?" And most of them are going to know it, it is. And the only question is, you know, wh- what can we talk about? Let's talk about it. But uh, I, I have to say that just science alone gives you an appreciation for God that is really overwhelming. And that's one of the reasons also that I said I've got to put this in the book. People need to understand that there are things in this world that, that we've never thought about, like water. I have a whole chapter on water. I, I couldn't believe that I could get fascinated by how God designed water. I thought it's the most boring thing in the world. It is so <laughs> fascinating that it is just freaky stuff wh- when you realize what water is, what it does, why it has a particular viscosity, why it has a, But you just—who would ever think about this stuff? Nobody. And yet scientists have thought about it. And a guy, Michael Denton, wrote a great book about it. And I, I, you know, I put it in a chapter. Water is one of the greatest proofs of God there is. But whoever talks about that, I said, well, it's about time we appreciated
2: it. Well, absolutely. I remember uh, being brought to tears, uh, hearing a science presentation on the structure of the eye and how that demonstrated it could not have just sprung into being. Uh, Science can be fascinating. And I have to say, Eric Metaxas writes, to a general audience, it's uh, it's entertaining and readable, and can help all of us draw a bit closer to the truth. The book is titled "Is Atheism Dead?" Eric Metaxas. It is always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Georgine. Thank you.
2: Uh, by the way, the book is uh, published by Salem Books and of uh, currently available.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We've been celebrating the fact that we are closer to a culture of life in that the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the constitutional, the notion of a constitutional amendment to the uh, that uh, grants a right to abortion on demand. But we're far from a culture of life, as we have learned since much has happened since then here in this country and certainly in places around the world where U.S. influence has left a uh, a mark. Well, delegates at the United Nations General Assembly they're in the process of finalizing negotiations on a resolution that would require all UN agencies to declare abortion a human right, the right to be aborted. Apparently, reportedly, due to pressure from uh, the European Union and the Biden administration. Well, the resolution contains language about abortion that has repeatedly been rejected in other resolutions over the past decade. The Center for um, Family and Human Rights, or CFAM, as it's often referred to, reported that it's being considered for adoption by the end of this month. Today is the 24th of August. Well, according to CFAM, the resolution declares that governments should secure access to safe abortion as a matter of policy and ensure the promotion and the protection of the human rights of all women and their sexual and reproductive health. Now, it's so interesting to me because this language doesn't really cover the full the the full impact of abortion. It's not just one individual exercising her rights. It's the impact on another individual that makes this controversial. But that is not, as has been the case throughout the debate on one side of the ledger, has not been an issue of concern. Western countries backing the resolution reportedly forced the inclusion of this language a Japanese diplomat leading the negotiations stated that delegations could not alter the language on abortion. It remained despite repeated objections, according once again to the Center for Family and Human Rights, or CFAM. Uh, the European Union and the U.S. government are trying to undermine the longstanding consensus of the General Assembly that abortion is an issue that should be decided at a national level without external interference from the United Nations. The vice president for legal studies at CFAM said in an emailed statement to the Christian Post earlier this week. Well, he said that both had um, had done this intermittently for the past 30 years, but he believes that they've made it a priority now due to the U.S. Supreme Court's reversal of Roe versus Wade in June. Now, essentially what the Supreme Court said is there is no constitutional right to abortion. Therefore, it is remanded back to the people to determine in their own jurisdictions whether or not and how or if abortion will be permitted within their respective states. Now there's greater pressure being uh, brought to bear by the U.S. government and European leaders, apparently, to redefine abortion as a human right. Well, the high court upheld Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban in a 6-3 ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, as you probably know, declaring that the U.S. Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. That returned the power to make laws governing abortion back to the individual states. The people would have the opportunity to weigh in. The issue isn't just whether abortion should be accessible as a matter of human rights or not. It's about protecting the integrity of international aid. Well, until now, the General Assembly consensus was that governments should help women avoid abortion. Well, he now believes there will be pressure on women to abort if the U.N. considers adopting the resolution as part of its response to sexual violence. As if abortion is not in and of itself a form of sexual violence. Abortion is cheaper than providing health care and social support to mothers and their children. Uh, He went on to say, and there's an inherent tension here. No woman should uh, ever feel pressured to abort by governments or international agencies. Women have already lived under the pressure of um, others in aborting their children. And you add the weight of governments who hold the purse strings, um, this would be uh, beyond the pale. Well, delegates noted that the EU appeared to be rather aggressive in its negotiations, which isn't standard protocol. Now, the main sponsors of a resolution typically facilitate negotiations, and they do not negotiate it themselves. This is an exception. It is, from my perspective, demonically inspired. Another apparent break from tradition is the term safe abortion, which appears in the resolution. Safe abortion. Again, total disregard for the fact that you're talking not just about one individual, but two. There is no such thing as a safe abortion. It's survivable by one of the parties, but is not by the other. As UN member states have not widely accepted the phrase, it now appears in the resolution. Roughly half the voting members of the Human Rights Council supported Egypt, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia's proposed amendments to delete the term. Certainly, or rather currently, those countries ban or impose restrictions on abortion. While in Egypt, abortion is prohibited under the articles of its uh, penal code, the country makes exceptions in cases where the mother's health or life is in danger. And according to the Centers for Reproductive Rights an abortion advocacy group, Saudi Arabia permits abortion if the mother's mental or physical health is at risk. Well, as the, Wim, the World Health Organization reported in May of 2017, abortions in Bahrain can only be committed after authorization from a health professional and in an authorized facility. The country there also permits sanctions on women seeking an abortion, the abortionist and in any individual who assists with that procedure. Well, progressive Western countries' efforts to promote safe abortion, as they refer to it, is at odds with the consensus of the General Assembly. And yet, they know best. It was defined during the 1994 International Conference on Population and Development, according to CFAM. While well, the caveats adopted during the Cairo Conference state that the UN shouldn't make any determination on the matter of abortion. They add that governments should help women avoid abortion and focus on helping them provide for their children before and after birth. But what we're seeing is this being turned on its head under pressure from European nations and primarily the Biden administration. It's not at all surprising, um, but it is uh, an indication of where the world is going as we seek a post-Roe a culture of life here in the United States, the challenges not just here, but elsewhere around the world continue to grow. We need to continue in our pro-life work. We need to talk about it. We need to be well-educated about it. We need to advocate for uh, for life. And we need to be, most of all, we need to be prayerful about God intervening on, this, on behalf of the innocents who have no voice in this um, broadening debate over the value of human life the sanctity of human life. And while many believe that once the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v.ersus Wade, the pro-life movement can simply settle into the work that it had done from the very beginning, supporting women uh, in unsupported pregnancies, but we've now learned, and rightly so, that the work continues uh, in ways that maybe we were not prepared for or had not anticipated. But the work continues, and I would hope all of us would uh, who hold a pro-life position, a biblical view on the sanctity of human life, would take seriously the the challenge of the moment to speak with, um, with compassion, uh, to speak with conviction, and to stand for the sanctity and the protection of human life here in this country and as um, citizens of the United States, among our representatives in the international community as well. Well, on Thursday, we're going to um hear from Mo Aiken, author of Fully Known: An Invitation to True Intimacy with God that's coming up on tomorrow's program and then on Friday, of course, we'll share this week's Christian outlook covering. Uh, some of the headlines from uh, from the week from talk show hosts associated with Salem Media from all around the country. So I hope you'll plan to join us for that. I do want to thank Sam Moppin for engineering today's program and serving as a partial producer as well as James Blend is off on vacation. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.